It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast, our final Pipeline Podcast of 2018. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan, we're going to have a week off next week. So this is our chance to kind of look back on 2018 and look ahead to 2019. So we're going to do fake New Year's resolutions from a prospect's perspective. We're going to look at some of the great prospect moments of 2018, thanks to your Twitter feed. And But we're not going to start there. We're going to start with this offseason so far and some of the big names who have been traded. And, man, the winter meetings on this side of things was a little disappointing, right? Sometimes we go to the winter meetings and three or four top 100 guys get moved. Last week in Las Vegas, that was certainly not the case. Yeah, you know, it, it's actually been the last couple of years. It's been kind of just so-so. You know, two years ago, there was the Chris Sale deal. Uh, you know, you know, I'm cut a part of that. And then there was also uh, the, the deal the White Sox made sending Adam Eaton to the Nationals, and that netted them a bunch of prospects. And so it was like Mancata and Kopech and Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez and Dane Dunning. Uh, so that was like a flurry of activity. Uh, last year and this year, not so great. Uh, and in fact, compared compared to last year this year was better at least when you're looking at the off season as in its totality uh you know yes there were trades in last year's winter meetings but there wasn't a single top 100 prospect traded last off season so the, at least this year there were three even yes. if they weren't meetings yeah so let's get into those you have a story up on pipeline right now on the top 15 prospects who have been traded i think I think we were saying eight of them have gone to the Mariners. Uh, so Jerry Depoto is certainly doing his best to reload that system. And that includes those top three, top 100 guys, which is Justice Sheffield, who came over in the James Paxton deal from the Yankees. And then they get Jared Kelnick and Justin Dunn from the Mets in that Edwin Diaz trade. So um, Jerry Depoto always known for the trades and the moves. And he is giving us at Pipeline some excitement so far this offseason. Just in time for me to uh, take over the Mariners' top 30 for next year. He flipped the switch. Thank him for that after Mike Rosenbaum had to uh, be vigilant uh, in terms of being on call and having, you know, 47 replacements ready as he was trading prospect after prospect away. So uh, now I've got a deeper stable to to work from and starting at the top. Uh, You know, the system had a long way to go. Uh, None of these guys, you know, jump out as sort of elite level you know, Yohan yeah, Mankata was the number one prospect in baseball when, when he was traded. So, uh, But <clears throat> I actually think Kelnick probably has the most upside. Uh, Sheffield is the closest to the to the big leagues and I think will contribute next year. Uh, I, I'm a big Justice Sheffield guy. Uh, Jim Callis, who's on vacation this week, is not uh, as high on him as I am. But, uh, you know, uh, it's still adding three really interesting guys. Dunn is... Uh, reaching the upper levels as well. And Kelnick is kind of interesting because Seattle really liked him heading into the draft. 
brought him to Seattle for, you know, for a workout, uh, but he ended up going number six overall uh, and, and the Mariners picked 13th. So they didn't even have a chance to, to consider taking him. Uh, uh, but I'm sure that was key in, in making that, uh, that Cano deal. Uh, Kelnick probably was, you know, the first guy they asked for. The one thing I'll say from a Mariners perspective, you mentioned Sheffield contributing probably in 2019. And I would think that they really will probably count on him to be a part of that rotation in Seattle. And Eric Swanson, who's number four on your list, who also came over in that Paxton trade, could be in that rotation as well. So the Mariners maybe added 40% of their rotation through a couple of trades or through one trade this offseason. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. And, and Swanson, you know, is kind of interesting. He had a, he had a, a really good year uh, in 2018, made his way to, to AAA. He's not, he doesn't wow you. It's good stuff. Uh, it's not phenomenal stuff. Uh, but after the year that he had, uh, you know, if he doesn't start the year in the rotation. If he picks up where he left off last year and pitches well in AAA, then he's up uh, you know, at some point if they want to wait to start his clock for, for whatever reason. Uh, but he, you know, he's strong and durable and is the kind of guy that could soak up a lot of innings, even if he doesn't have, uh, you know, a big, huge ceiling. He's more, one of those guys who's more fl- high floor than, than ceiling, I, I would say. Uh, you know, maybe he's a number four starter at best, but he's you know, a fairly safe bet to be able to contribute in that vein fairly soon. So there is still time for teams to make moves and make this list a little beefier as we make our way through the hot stove season. So no pressure on any organizations out there, but we'd love to see some prospect movement during the hot stove season. All right, let's look back at some of the great moments of the 2018 prospect season. And Jonathan, you reached out on Twitter to people to get their take on this. So that's where we're going to grab these from. So it's the fan, the prospect fans that have kind of contributed these. Uh, And no real surprise here that some of these stem from the Futures game uh, from D.C. at the All-Star game, because obviously that's a chance for a lot of eyes to be on prospects. So why don't we start at that event and start with Taylor Trammell. Doug Gray was the first one to get this one into you. He did it in GIF fashion. Um, Taylor Trammell's not Homer off the top of the wall when he thought he had hit two. He put the two fingers out to his teammates on the bench. He jogged to first base, and then he ended up on third with a triple after he had to really pick up the pace to get around it. We talked to Taylor on this podcast about it after the fact, and he was kind of a little bit embarrassed but took it all in, in stride. But really it was. It, it showed off his abilities, but it was also a lot of fun and, and definitely one of the key moments from this year. Uh, absolutely. His performance overall was just un- unbelievable in that game. And uh, he even responded uh, to to the to the tweet uh, about about that, uh, that it made his day. So he, he's always been very good natured and has a uh, uh, such a good attitude about things and such a talented player. And uh, yeah, he could have had a two home run game. Uh, you know, if he maybe if he had more time because he only you know, tripled you know, put out chance to hit for the cycle, uh, but that didn't happen. But uh, yeah, all of his tools were on display just uh, uh, goofed there and I think it's safe to assume. And I, you know, he said as much that uh, that's never going to happen to him again, probably for the remainder of his career, nothing like getting uh, embarrassed on national television, you know, albeit in an exhibition to, to make sure that you don't uh, repeat a mistake. 
Yeah, if you're going to pose, you got to make sure you got it all. Uh, It was a shot, though, to center field for sure. All right, same game, and this one came in from multiple people, actually. And and this player we actually are going to have multiple moments from. But let's start with Peter Alonzo at the Futures game, breaking StatCast, doing something (laughs) that no one had had ever done in that game with the absolute blast that he hit in a game that was filled with home runs. Yeah, it was... uh... It was kind of silly. I mean, and, and he's mentioned in several moments, uh, you know, because of his power. And, it, you know, I don't even remember the the exact numbers. It was the um, exit velocity combined with the uh, with the launch angle, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he basically hit the ball straight up in the air. Right. At like. <laughs> and somehow, yeah, 116 points. I think it was something like, you know, the hardest hit ball with a launch angle above 40% or uh, it, was, it was something that like, I, I think there are physicists who are probably scratching their heads and wondering how that was even remotely uh, possible to, to achieve. And uh, no one should be surprised at this point, given uh, what Peter Alonso has done power wise uh, over the last two years, this year uh, was the uh, Joe Bauman, home run award winner. He finished, uh, you know, just barely won it at the, at the very end of the year. Uh, you know, thanks to his RBI total, he finished tied home run wise. And then, uh, because he ran away with the minor league RBI lead that, that gave him the award. So here's the official numbers where he broke StatCast. It was 113.6 miles per hour and a 46-degree launch angle. No home run in the StatCast era had ever been hurt, hit with a plus with 113 or more uh, exit velocity and a 40-degree or more launch angle. So that is how he did it. Got a little boost maybe from a, a breeze out to left field at Nationals Park, but uh, wow, it was something to behold. And then his other moment was what you just mentioned, um, how he managed to, to get that, that award. On the final day of the season, in the final game ever at Cashman Field in Las Vegas, in the final game by a Mets affiliate in Vegas because they're moving to Syracuse next year, Alonzo hit a walk-off grand slam, and someone was actually videotaping it. So that video actually exists as well. You can find that um, I think on Twitter pretty easily. But so Alonzo making this list twice, very impressive. Do you know what's scary? <laughs> that his homer off of Nate Pearson's 103 mile an hour fastball at the Fall League Fall Stars game, not mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but uh, which is kind of crazy. Unfortunately, the game was in surprise, so there was uh, not uh, Statcast wasn't there. Uh, Trackman was there, and they 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 tracked it at 110 mile an hour. Um, but uh, Kind of insane that you know he's done so much that uh, it's crazy. Just to com- compare, you know, in the Statcast era, the fastest pitch hit for a home run was uh, from Araldus Chapman, 102.8 miles an hour, that was hit out by Raphael Devers back in 2017. Um, so, pretty impressive stuff by by friend of the podcast. You know who had a pretty impressive season? Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, as in, who? yeah, who's that guy? Uh, he won't be a prospect for too much longer. Um, but we have certainly enjoyed his time in the top 100 at the top of the list and everything he's done. Uh, but he, he was mentioned multiple times as far as people's favorite moments. Uh, one of them 
goes all the way back to the, I guess, not really technically spring training, the exhibition season when the Blue Jays every year go up to Olympic Stadium in Montreal and, and play a couple of games. And Vlad hit that walk-off home run in the exhibition game in the stadium where obviously his dad started his career and, and the place was packed for the game. And it was really a, a special moment in a game that meant absolutely nothing. I don't want to say it was Vlad's coming out party because everybody already knew who this guy was, obviously. But it, it was kind of like, oh, wow, maybe he's ready right now. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, I think it was. We'd heard about him. Uh, we'd heard Jim Callis talk about him ad nauseum, uh, but, uh, I mean, it had a really good 2018, uh, 2017, obviously, but this was the first time really seeing him on the national stage of, of any kind. Uh, and, and to, to do it in with that kind of flair for the dramatic and just seeing him like bouncing around the bases, coming around to score, uh, you know, the joy with which he plays. And that's, you know, that's what makes him an even, more special player, I, I think, is uh, it's not just that he is you know one of the greatest, if not the greatest, hitting prospect that that we've seen, or you know certainly that I've seen since I've covering prospects. But he plays the game with he has so much fun all the time. But he's all business while he's playing, so it's it's a perfect combination. It's why he's uh, he's going to be a superstar, I think, in every sense of the word. It's not just going to be because of his performance, and uh, and that home run just was. Yeah, you couldn't have written a better script. Thanks to Matt Roth for getting that one in with a little video as well on Twitter. And then the other one that relates to Guerrero Jr. was from Juan Vasquez, who said, seeing Craig Biggio, or sorry, I got that wrong, Juan Vasquez, <laughs> seeing Biggio, Bichette, and Guerrero Juniors all playing on the same team in New Hampshire and he added, made me feel really old. And that was really cool. And it's neat that, that the Blue Jays, have that coming up through the system with all those bloodlines. But for those three guys to, um, at least for a little bit, be playing on the same roster was pretty special. Uh, it, it was. It shows you how old you and I are, by the way, that I could easily say Craig, just like you did, instead of uh, Kevin. And I you know, I was lucky enough to, to uh, see all three of them play and spend time with them uh, while they were, you know, all three of them were in New Hampshire. It was about half the season, I think, before Vladdy got uh, bumped up and, the other guys had pretty good years too. Uh, uh, Bo Bichette started slowly, uh, but then kind of got going, found his groove. And, and Kevin Biggio uh, was a huge breakout star this year. A uh, ton of home runs. Uh, he's looking like a, an offensive-minded everyday second baseman. Uh, you know, and then he went and played the outfield in the fall league. So maybe you know, maybe he moves around as positional flexibility. But you know, all three of those guys. Uh, it's not just, oh, it's cool to have three guys whose dads played in the big leagues. All three guys have a chance to be everyday presences in the Blue, Jay li Blue Jays lineup, uh, possibly before the end of 2019. Uh, Vlad Jr., for certain, I would imagine Bichette and Biggio start the year in AAA. We'll, we'll have to see. And uh, there are so many things that you could put uh, on this list for, for Vlad Jr. Um, he, you know, he hit the ball so hard all the time uh when i went and saw them in new hampshire uh at one point this was early i think it was in may when i went he had already hit like 20 some odd balls over 100 miles an hour off the bat uh and got thrown out twice at second base from balls hit off the left field wall uh largely just because he hit the ball too hard um, <laughs> you know it was, uh one one time the hitting coach said maybe he he was watching the ball a little too much but for the 
for the most part, it was, it was just because he's hitting the ball 110 miles an hour on a regular basis that, uh, uh, that it was, it was kind of crazy. And, every, you know, it seemed that everyone I talked to had a story about a, a laser that he hit. And I just, I, I can't wait to, to see that in, in the American League next year, whenever it is that, uh, that it happens. At some point, those three guys are going to be all up with the Blue Jays, and there's yeah. going to be a game where all three dads are in the stands, and hopefully they get seats near each other because I'm sure the uh, the Rogers Network will have fun showing them I, nonstop they, throughout that game. I think right, I think they have to insist that they sit together yeah. at all times whenever they're in the ballpark. Yeah, at least get one interview in at some point. All right, moving on. The next one, we got to switch over to the pitching side a little bit here. And this oh, okay. one came from multiple people. Um, and, and the season didn't end great for this, but it was a great moment. Michael Kopech, his debut uh, back on August 21st, um, what the on Twitter was described as a playoff atmosphere because the White Sox fans obviously are are trying chomping at the bit to be able to root for things, and this was really a chance. Unfortunately, it rained that night, so Kopech only went two innings, but he struck out four batters in those two innings. He gave up three hits, uh, and he ended up coming out after a lengthy rain delay, so he only threw two innings. But the stuff was electric. Unfortunately, before he had made too many starts, he ended up having the injury to the elbow, and he's going to miss 2019 with Tommy John surgery. But the future is still bright for Kopech, and we got a glimpse of it, however short, back in August. Yeah, kind of. fortunately, a little bit of a tease for, uh, for White Sox fans, but they've been waiting uh, for him. You know, One of the many pitchers that they'd gotten uh, in trades, I mentioned him when we were talking about uh, uh, traded prospects. They got him in, in the Chris Sale deal, and uh, – you know, I, I think there was added excitement uh, because he throws so hard, maybe because, you know, some, some of the other big pitching prospects have been a little bit up and down. Uh, you know, we love Lucas Giolito on this podcast, but he he hasn't established himself as a as a star just yet. Uh, so to have this guy and the whole time people were waiting for him to kind of string things together uh, because of his command, it was a little bit up and down. You know, we do that weekly fantasy top 10 in terms of, you know, what impact a guy might have for, for the season we're writing in. And Kopech was kind of all over the map. We, we always kind of put him on there, but I would always look at his last few starts and it would be one start he'd go and throw, you know, seven shutout innings and strike out 15 and walk two, you know, like maybe he's ready. And then he'd walk six as next start and only make it through four innings. And uh, then he's finally, it looked like he turned a corner and, had some consistent success and that led to that call up and he was as good as advertised when he got called up and unfortunately the injury, uh, hopefully, you know, the, the rehab process will go smoothly there. You know, there's been some decent track record of guys coming back from the injury and, and, and throwing well, uh, there's less data with guys who are, are that young and, and with that little experience, uh, obviously it, it's happening more and more. So there will be more data uh, in the years to come. Uh, but Kopik is kind of going to be more of a data point than someone we can look at that data and say this is what he'll be. But hopefully he'll come back as strong as ever, and and the White Sox fans will have uh, their frontline starter back in 2020. Yeah, we hope so. All right, for the next one, we're leaving the sport of baseball, kind of, to <laughs> football. Kyler Murray winning the Heisman Trophy just a few weeks ago, actually. The uh, first-round pick of the Oakland Athletics last June made the deal with the A's that he could go play football at Oklahoma during his junior season. He spun that into really a magical season, Oklahoma, in the, in the playoffs, which is going to be coming up, obviously, um, later this month. 
but he won the Heisman um, and it brought up all sorts of other discussions, controversies. Will he really play baseball? Will he go back to Oklahoma for his senior year? Will he get drafted? All that stuff. But what he did was special on the football field. It was unbelievable. I mean, considering that this guy, uh, you know, this was a guy who people, you know, he hadn't gotten a chance to play. And then he, you know, he backing up and you know he's too small and he, well we'll give him a chance to start and then he uh was the best college quarterback in in the nation and uh and, and it did lead up to the obvious questions of well what does that mean uh you know it, it seems and i am by no means a a, a football expert or, or i have a hard time keeping track of the, the baseball draft so the nfl draft i'm not even gonna go near but from from most things I've read, uh, there are some there is some disagreement. But he's not likely to be a really high draft pick. Uh, so, you know, and there there's been assurances that he's going to play baseball. That said, uh, let's say that he he goes to play baseball, and this summer he really struggles. Uh, he can change his mind, you know, and and decide to go back to football uh, if he wants to. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I hope he comes and uh, replicates the success that he had playing football in, in the minor leagues, playing baseball, uh, and, and you know have a tremendous two two sport athlete. And uh, you know I hope he sticks with baseball because I think it'll be good for the game. But uh, it'll be interesting to talk about and see how it unfolds uh, as as 2019 gets going. Yeah, I think he's too small to play quarterback, certainly. Um, and I think as far as anyone who thinks, oh, we could have another Bo Jackson, you can't have a quarterback Bo Jackson. I think that's pretty clear that if there's going to be a special athlete that plays two sports, um, it, it can't be baseball and quarterback because there's just too much too that much. goes into being an NFL quarterback. Now, if he suddenly got drafted even higher as like a a slot receiver or something, then who knows? And maybe he could try to do both, but, but not as a quarterback. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, as uh, it's just neat to be able to see the sort of athleticism that he has and people are going to get to see it on the diamond and how it translates as well. Tools wise with the speed and, and he's got power as well. So Kyler Murray, a great story in 2018. We're going to move on to new year's resolutions, but uh, one more moment. I'm going to, I don't know if it counts as greatest moments, but it got mentioned. And it was kind of cool. Williams Estadio, the hidden ball trick on Dewell Lugo <laughs> at third base for the Rochester Red Wings. And there is video of it kind of. Um, it's always tough on the cameras to get the video of the hidden ball trick, especially at the minor league level. But but uh, we'll give him kind of a, a gold star for that as well. All right. New Year's resolutions. Now. These are fake. We want to make that clear, John. What? No. We did, not, we did not speak to these people, and they did not tell us this is what I'm set to do in 2019. We, we made these up. Uh, do you want to just bounce back and forth on yeah, these? Yeah, that sounds like a plan. All right. Let's, you, let, I'll let you came up with more of these than I did, so I'll let you go, uh, go first. All right. In 2019, the Atlanta Braves resolve to have a 12-man rotation in order to get all of their pitching prospects starts. I just don't see any other way to, to do it. It's why the Braves uh, are always brought up as a team who are positioned to uh, trade prospects without killing the farm system uh, so they can compete in, in this year. They, they have so many pitching prospects 
and there's a log jam at the upper levels. Uh, you know, I, I think if if things sort of you could put together a, a rotation of triple A and double A starters that might rival some of the weaker major league teams. Uh, so, you know, or you're going to see guys get moved to to the bullpen permanently as opposed to, well, let's just uh, ease them in, uh, you know, to 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 major league life, uh, you know, pitching out, out of uh, rotation. So uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, you know, try to take their time as as much as possible. But uh, so many pitching prospects and, you know, if they're if they're looking to trade for, say, JT Real Muto, uh, you know, if they want that that catcher and, and the Marlins asking price is high, they do have not only really good pitching prospects, but really good pitching prospects who are not that far away from being big league ready, which I would think would uh, be of value to the Marlins or, or any team they're talking to. Hey, we have openers, we have bullpending, who knows, maybe 12-man rotation is is the next step. And either way, we're set, because if they do trade a bunch of those guys, that'll beef up our list of, of top prospects who have been traded this offseason. Which brings me to the Jerry DePoto New Year's resolution, which is Jerry DePoto will continue to make a crazy number of trades, but will only bring in prospects in the deals, because... If he's going to make all these trades, he might as well help us out. Fine, yeah, I said fine by me. It's a lot easier to add a guy, who, you know, than than continually finding replacements when he trades them away. What's what's the over under for the rest of the off season? How, how many trades? Yeah. Well, we're talking about twenty nineteen. It's got to be like three three and a half trades before spring training. Okay. Maybe three and a half more because okay. he's what he's already made seven, right? Right, three and a half. Um, I mean, so if you had set the over/under before the offseason started at ten, he seems like he's on a good, pretty good pace to, to, to do that. To do that, so I see. So three and a half—that's that's interesting. So we can't have a push. I, I applaud right. that. Uh you know what? I'll take the over. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think your track record says right. Okay. You never, you never want to go against him. You're yeah, up. Right. All right. Uh, well, we've talked a lot about Vladdy Jr. So Vlad Guerrero Jr. Resolves to walk more than he strikes out in 2019. That's not really going out on a limb because uh, over the course of his minor league career, he has walked 146 times and struck out 135 times, which is just insane. And yes, I'm, I'm saying that he's going to do that even while spending uh, much, if not all, of the 2019 season in the big leagues. Yeah, that's amazing. He's amazing. And I. At this point, I feel like it can't be a disappointment. Like he's just proven himself too well that he's going to be a great hitter at the big league level. If he can do that, though, yes. as far as plate discipline as a rookie, I mean, the sky's the limit at that point. All right, next, Brennan Rogers, Rockies' number one prospect, will put down his Fortnite controller long enough to get to the big leagues and hit 20 home runs for the Rockies. <laughs> and right now, it seems like there's a pretty good path for him. Um, they, there was talk that they would try to add a middle infielder to replace DJ LeMahieu. So far, they haven't done that. So it seems like there's a spot for Brendan right. uh, come 2019 if, if the roster stays the way it is. And he's he, his hands are so quick, he might be able to hit 20 homers with a Fortnite controller. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we tease. Uh, Brendan was in Las Vegas, uh, the winter meetings for a Fortnite tournament we talked to. Uh, Astros prospect Kyle Tucker uh, for last week's podcast. Um, 
Kyle was kind enough to join us, uh, take a break. Brendan was too locked in uh, and uh, for uh, for his competition to to join us. Uh, and just kidding. All seriousness aside, uh, all kidding aside, uh, yeah, I think that he uh, should work his way into the lineup. Uh, the bat speed has always been good. I really think he's starting to to figure most of it out, and uh, we'll, we'll get to, to twenty homers. Okay, Alex Reyes, who has been on prospect lists for a very, very long time with injuries getting in the way. Uh, I think the next out he records, he'll uh, graduate off. He's very close, but Tommy John surgery and then had a, had a lat strain uh, when he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. So he resolves to stay healthy in 2019, which will then allow him to pitch in postseason games for the Cardinals. I think that's actually a reasonable uh, resolution, and we'll have to see what role uh, that ends up being for him. Uh, I don't know if they'll, you know, to, to try to make sure he stays healthy, whether or not they'll put him in the bullpen. His stuff would look really, really good in shorter stints, uh, you know, unless they need the help in the rotation. I feel like when people are looking at this Cardinals team, and obviously they need to improve to get over the Brewers and the Cubs in that division, and that whole division is is exciting. The Pirates are are doing things the reds have been busy this off season but they're better obviously you know the add the uh, you add goldschmidt at first base but i feel like when people look at their team next year they don't take reyes into account and the factor that he could be when thinking about how much better that team could be and he could be a difference maker i think for for the cardinals for sure all right this is my last one uh nick senzel resolves to play every position except pitcher and catcher for the Reds in 2019. Here's a guy that obviously was a third baseman, drafted as the third baseman, but you look at that Reds team and third base is, is like the one position on the roster that's not available. So they've moved him, they've tried him in the outfield in different spots, and it seems that he can kind of do a little bit of everything. He's been successful. So we'll see if he can do seven positions in 2019. Yeah, he probably will fall a little bit short of that, but he has already played second, third, and one game at short uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, and I remember he was getting some work at short uh, before he, he got hurt at the end of last year. That's the only thing that's held him back. He might have been in the big leagues already. He's such an advanced hitter. Uh, and then during instructs as he was rehabbing his injury, he took a ton of fly balls in the outfield. Uh, he's pretty athletic. I, I think he'd be solid at uh, at any of the positions. Uh, he, he, you know, they ended up putting him at, and you know whether or not they'd want a rookie to move around that much. But we'll see. We'll, uh, you know, first base might be tough. Uh, I don't, you know, he's not taking any any ground balls there. But I, I think he could probably handle it uh, if if need be. Um, All right, last one, Jonathan. Finally, Forrest Whitley resolves to use his. 114 mile an hour fastball to the Astros opening day rotation. Did you see that video? I, I did. Uh, to my, to my uh, knowledge, they have not allowed you to take a running start from the mound yet, but right. And I also, it would be a little unsafe uh, for, for him with the hitter and with the bat in his hands, but there, there's a drill. Um, who was it that did it last year? Bauer, right? Didn't Trevor right, yeah, Bauer. Tre- do it Trevor Bauer. It's a, it's a drill to, to build arm strength uh, where you kind of take a running start and it's like a max effort throw from 10 feet or five feet or whatever it is into a net. And they measure the velocity and he was 
114 or 110 or whatever, whatever, you know, he threw the ball as hard as, as Vlad Guerrero Jr. And, and Peter Alonso hit the ball. Um, <laughs> and, and he's always had, you know, a good fastball, but he wasn't a trip. He's not a triple digit guy. More than that, more than that, that one, one drill is just how good Forrest Whitley looked in the fall league. Uh, you know, he hadn't thrown a lot of innings because of the suspension and then some minor injuries. And he uh, looked every bit like a guy who's ready to step into a big league rotation. I remember when I saw him, uh, uh, it was his first fall league start. And uh, it's funny, I covered the game. I, my, my institutional memory uh, lapses much more easily than it used to. And he struck out the first seven guys he faced. Yep, uh, that's that's right. And it was and it was just ridiculous because it's like he was using all of his pitches. His command was unbelievable. And I was like, oh, now I understand why in 2017 there was serious conversation about the Astros bringing him up to help out. Uh, and that was you know a full year ago where he he you know didn't have the much pitching on his professional resume, but the stuff was so good and his feel for pitching. Uh, was so good uh, that I can understand why they thought he could come up and help out of the bullpen. Uh, so it's a question of uh, when and not if for me. Uh, obviously, the Astros are a team that uh, you know it plans to contend. Uh, I think they think that they will uh, be right at the at the top of the AL West uh, as they have been the last couple of years. So he's going to help them in some capacity. It'll be fun to watch to see how how quickly he can force uh, force their hand and get there. All right, good stuff. Hey, how about this for a New Year's resolution from the Pipeline Podcast? We will continue to up the ante as far as getting great guests on here because we had a huge 2018 from a guest perspective, and I and I think we, yeah, we did keep that going in 2019 as we try to grow the uh, the friends of the podcast here at at the Pipeline Podcast. Sound good? Yeah, the more fops, the better. There you go. Friends of the pot. Is that <laughs> Yeah, we can go with that. I like fops. All right, and we will have Jim Callis back with us when we return in 2019. Um, RCDP is kind of right out of the gate, so we'll probably talk about that. But it's been a good 2018, Jonathan. Enjoy the rest of the year, and we will do this again in 2019. Sounds good, Tim. Always a pleasure being with you. All right, for Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Everybody out there, have a good holiday, and thank you for tuning in.